This is an AI Group podcast. In this podcast, we'll be discussing the most significant workplace relations issues of the month, October 2020. The full members-only report is available on our website at aigroup.com.au in the policy section under Workplace Relations Policy and Advocacy. With me today to discuss the key aspects of this latest report, I'm speaking with Stephen Smith. Stephen's Head of National Workplace Relations Policy at AI Group, and I'm Tony Melville, AI Group's Head of Corporate Affairs. So, Stephen, it's um, it's a jam-packed report this month, but what we might do is, is look at one item that is spread throughout the report, and that's on the federal government's IR reform process, and there's a number of items that are linked to that. But so, just to give it some background, the federal government's developing a detailed Fair Work Amendment bill that is expected to be introduced into Parliament in late November or early December. Now, you, Stephen, have been in all the five various working groups and have um, been working, I think, harder than anybody over the last few months. But if we can just sort of talk without talking about what's discussed in those groups, clearly we can talk about the issues and the ones and how they're being um you know, what, what can be done or how they potentially look, and that's on casuals and to fixed-term employment, enterprise agreement making, there's something on awards, compliance and enforcement, and greenfields agreements, and we're involved in some way or another in all those five groups. Yes, that's correct. And, um, of course, we'll all see what this bill is going to contain when it's introduced into Parliament in uh, probably the last week of November or, or the, the first uh, week of December. But the issues are extremely important. And just uh, taking the, the first one, for Start example. With the casuals and fixed-term employment, What's, what are the issues there? Yeah, well, on uh, casuals, as most people are aware, there's enormous uncertainty at the moment with casual employment. Uh, there have been a couple of really problematic decisions of the federal court, one in a case called Workpack versus Skeen and another in a case called Workpack versus Rosato, which has thrown up in the air the whole meaning of a casual employee and created enormous cost risk of people arguing that they're not a true casual uh, because they worked regular hours or because they, they didn't fit um, a, a, you know, a highly contested common law definition of what a casual employee is. So this issue needs to be fixed. Everyone accepts that we need to have a definition of a casual employee in the Fair Work Act, and uh, everyone would be extremely disappointed uh, if they didn't see that in this bill. <laughs> Every, everyone being employers um, or the unions um, well? Even unions. The unions accept that there is a need for a definition of a casual employee mm. in the Act. Uh, of course, there are some differences of view on what that definition should say. Okay. And so would that mean that the Workpack High Court case would not go ahead? No. The matter in the Workpack versus Rosato case is uh, before the High Court for special leave to appeal. So the High Court at the moment hasn't decided whether or not it's going to hear an appeal. It's, it's likely to hand down that decision any day, but that, that's a separate matter. But so a new definition wouldn't, wouldn't change that case? Well, that, that case is about Mr Rosato and his entitlements and obviously has enormous implications, but that right. 
goes back a, a couple of years. This, right. uh, you know, is about what will the law say now and uh, into the future, and there are also links, of course, with uh, entitlements for the past. So if that case went the wrong way from an employer's perspective and even if the definition of casual was changed, are there still exposure to risk for businesses in terms of uh, people that may be employed as casuals but aren't really? Well, you know, AI group and other employer groups are arguing very vigorously, of course, that this whole thing needs to be fixed in the legislation. We need to have a clear definition of casual employment and there needs to be protection against claims by people who have been employed as a casual and paid as a casual, they shouldn't be able to argue years down the track that they uh, are not a casual. Okay, so I understand there's also some interesting statistics out now on casuals, and, and, and this goes to the insecure work campaign of the ACTU and that we always argue against. So what's, what, what are the stats on casuals at the moment? Well, since 1998, uh, the level of casual employment has been 20% of the workforce and 25% of the employees in the workforce. So there's about 13 million uh, people in the workforce. Uh, about 11 million of those are employees and then there are business owners that employ other people and independent contractors um, in various categories. So, but if you just take the 11 million employees in the workforce, 25% um, of those have been casuals for 22 years since 1998. What we've seen since March this year, since the pandemic hit, is that that level has gone back to 19% for males and 21% for females. So we've actually got the lowest level of casual employment since 1991 at the moment. And that, of course, is a a tragedy in the sense that half a million casuals have lost their jobs since March. But the really important link with the other issue we were talking about, the need for reform, is that unless all this uncertainty is fixed around casual employment, there is this big barrier to employers taking on uh, casual staff, and that does need to be addressed urgently. Okay. It's a it's a point we keep on making and will keep on making against those arguments that there's a huge amount of insecure work. So another of the uh, five working groups was the Enterprise Agreement Making Working Group in the IR reform process. So what, what's, what are the developments there? What are the policies under discussion there? Well, in, in terms of where all these things will land, um, obviously the government's considering all of the uh, relevant issues that came out of the confidential working group discussions and uh, will make a decision about what uh, will be in this legislation. But the, the problems in the area of enterprise agreement making are well known. The number of enterprise agreements in Australia has declined dramatically from what it was 10 years ago. It, it is a very complicated extremely technical process and a lot of employers have abandoned the enterprise agreement process. It's just too hard. You know, we have a better off overall test that requires every single employee uh, to be better off overall compared to the relevant award, plus every single 
prospective employee to be better off overall. And that brings in all sorts of issues around, well, you know, are theoretical rosters being looked at or should it just be actual work patterns that are being worked? It's become extremely problematic, the better off overall test. That needs to be fixed. And there's lots of other issues of detail in the approval process that need to be fixed uh, just to make it a much simpler system that encourages enterprise agreements, not deters them. Without going into the confidential discussions, how would we like to see the boot better off overall test? Well, we, we had a, a no disadvantage test prior to the Fair Work Act that uh, was simple. It uh, didn't cause any difficulties for many, many years. Uh, it didn't require every single existing employee to be better off overall or every prospective employee, and uh, who knows what employees are going to be employed. So, you know, it was always a, a collective test, not an individual test. The, the tribunal looked at the issues in a practical, reasonable way and said, well, are people uh, going to be disadvantaged under this agreement or not? There was a lot of on, common... On balance? On balance, yeah, uh, yeah overall. Uh, there's a lot of common sense in the test, and uh, that's what we try to get back to. Okay. Whether it's called the better off overall test or the no disadvantage test is not the issue. It's what is the detail of the test. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you could you can have that balance in better off overall as overall yeah. being in balance. Okay. So the other one of the other big issues are all big is compliance and enforcement. And we again, you know, like the uh, insecure work campaign, we've heard a lot about the uh, term wage theft, which a term we don't like using, but which even the government's now seems to be adopting federally. But there's been a, you know, the potential for criminal penalties under for wage underpayments so is growing around the country, in particular legislation in Queensland and Victoria, which we could discuss here. Yeah, the, the, the government for some time federally has uh, been talking about the idea of federal um, you know, legislation imposing criminal penalties for serious and deliberate wage underpayments. Now, that that issue um, is, is one of the the issues that that gets discussed, uh, you know, in the public debate about compliance and enforcement. But what has happened is the Victorian government has uh, implemented uh, a wage theft act. It's been passed by Parliament and it is coming into operation uh, by 1 July 2021 at the latest. Now, this is very uh, heavy-handed legislation. It applies to um, so-called wage theft, uh, you know, dishonestly withholding employee entitlements. It has very hefty penalties of up to 10 years imprisonment. Um, you know, directors and senior officers of companies are included within the liability uh, unless they can uh, satisfy the defence that they exercise due diligence to make sure that people were paid correctly. So it, 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 we will have that legislation in operation by the middle of next year. Victoria and Queensland? And, and Queensland have gone down a a different path. Rather than having a specific wage theft uh, act, 
they've amended their Crimes Act to redefine the offence of stealing as to not just include stealing a thing, like most of us think stealing is, but to specifically say that withholding someone's entitlements uh, is theft, with, again, penalties of up to 10 years imprisonment. Now, the, the big issue here is, are these pieces of legislation uh, constitutional or not? Because we have the Fair Work Act, which has a comprehensive regime for compliance and enforcement, and, uh, you know, arguably, and, you know, we think the argument is correct, it stops states uh, legislating in that area. The Fair Work Act would appear to cover the field in this area, even if it doesn't have criminal penalties. So that is a an issue that constitutional lawyers are okay. debating. So you, do you want to go to the High Court again, Stephen? No, definitely not. <laughs> and that we tried to stop these pieces of legislation being passed um, because we, firstly, we don't agree that criminal penalties are the way to go for wage underpayments, but also there's a lot of doubt about the validity of these pieces of legislation for employers covered under the Fair Work Act. Okay, so with the Queensland Act, uh, Victorian Act, it's going to be a nightmare for national businesses, as, which is one of the reasons why we have a National Fair Work Act. Is it better off then having a national, uh, for want of a better word, wage theft bill? Well, it, it, we don't believe you need wage theft legislation federally or criminal penalties in the Fair Work Act for the Fair Work Act to override the Victorian Wage Theft Act uh, and the Queensland uh, amendments for constitutional corporations or employers that are covered by the Fair Work Act because the Fair Work Act specifically states that it overrides state laws um, in relation to compliance and enforcement matters relating to employee entitlements. Um, you know, we argued that with the Victorian government and the Queensland government, but they decided that they, in their view, their legislation is valid. But it's not a satisfactory state of affairs that someone would need to go to the High Court to have this sorted out. But that's um, not likely? It, if the federal government would have to go to the High Court, I suppose, for a fight. Well, you know, anyone has their, their right mm. to pursue a case like that. But it, it will be very interesting to see how these pieces of legislation interact with any amendments that the federal government might make to the Fair Work Act in this area of compliance and enforcement. You know, for example, if the government was to impose criminal penalties for wage underpayments in the Fair Work Act, mm. then that would squarely be the same matter that is being dealt with under these pieces of state legislation. Okay. It's similar but different to industrial manslaughter bills that popped up all over the country. Yeah, it, it has some similarity, but in the area of work health and safety, that is primarily a state matter, but IR is primarily a federal matter since the Work Choices High Court decision, and you know we've still got the national um, IR system through the Fair Work Act. Okay, gotcha. So that, um, we'll wrap it up there. Um, there's a lot of these issues are spread throughout this 
a significant issues brief, which again, I remind you is for members only at aigroup.com.au under the policy section, workplace relations policy and advocacy. So thanks to Stephen Smith, the head of national workplace relations policy at AI Group. Thanks, Stephen. And uh, that's all for now. See you next time.